Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 492. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm a well-caffeinated Lorraine Sink. Yeah, your eyes lit up when you took that sip. What is in that cup? I have to say I'm very proud of this cup because it looks like a hedgehog, but in his, like, little pouch... It's room for a cookie. You quit. It's a cookie slot. I'm an adult child. (laughs) It's very good. I'm sure it is. Uh, We are not going to tell you just about great mugs you can use. We're going to tell you all about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, what have you. Lorraine, I feel like I haven't talked to you in ages. I know. I know. It's funny because I feel like my life cycle is repeating your life cycle because we are buying a house. Mm-hmm. Um, we found one. So yeah, we're just yeah. working on getting it and trying to get it fixed up and livable and exciting. So, yeah, just living the normal life. I took a couple days off and, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but I might be getting a vaccine today. Yes. Yes. Do whatever you want to do, but be safe out there. Mask up. Be awesome. Wash those hands. Wash all your hands. All five. Uh, Yeah, all five hands. And then get ready because we, of course, are going to have a new episode of Marvel Studios, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier for you this week. Uh, But Lorraine, episode two. Wowie wow. We've got a bunch of new items that came Mm -hmm. out alongside episode two in our Marvel must have. So if you go to Marvel.com slash must-haves, you'll be able to see a whole bunch of really cool John Walker stuff now. Or I should say John F. Walker. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff that they always have in these Marvel must-haves, like cute tees. Oh, man, they got a lot of cute shirts for this because, you know, I love a clothing, coffee mug, all that good stuff. There's lots of cute stuff. And there's a John F. Walker figure as well. Yeah, that one I wanted to point out, that's from the Hasbro Marvel Legends. I like that they, like, dropped it. They had this Marvel Legends ready to go like they were doing for Marvel Studios WandaVision. They had this one. And not only is it a Marvel Legends six-inch Captain America John F. Walker figure, it's in the packaging that looks like the packaging for his action figures in the show. So you, if you watch yeah. the show and he's signing the figures and you see the toys, it's like the same thing. It's really, really neat. I love that connection. Yeah, that's awesome. And a little spoiler on episode two here. Um, if you haven't watched it yet... There is a character that appears in this episode that, you know, comic fans, I think, were exceptionally excited to see, which is, uh, this is your moment to fast forward if you don't want to hear about it, Isaiah Bradley. Yeah, we did an episode of Marvel's Pull List, the podcast where we did our reading club on the comic book Truth, Red, White, and Black, which introduced Isaiah Bradley and the idea that there were a whole group of black American super soldiers Mm -hmm. that were sort of between when Steve Rogers went down and came back to, you know, Mm -hmm. came back to reality. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's such a great book. It's so good. It's so good, but it's, it'll knock you on your ass, man. It's really good. And that episode, we did it alongside writers Vidayala and Danny Mm -hmm. Lore. And the conversation we had, I thought was really great, really honest and, and emotional. Uh, just talking about the impact that that book had on them and should have on anybody who wants to learn about Isaiah Bradley's story and sort of like how reality influenced this aspect of Marvel and Marvel Comics. Honestly, that story is, it's a very well-told story and it's, it is very haunting because so much of it is rooted in real things that have happened in the United States during Mm -hmm. that era. 
if you listen to Marvel's Declassified at all, we did an episode about World War II, and we do talk a little bit about the treatment of black soldiers in World War II, and that heavily has to do with truth, red, white, and black. But it's very interesting because when you read that comic, I mean, obviously it's taken to like really heightened perspectives because it's superhero lore and and they're talking about superhero serum but a lot of that stuff is very close to the history if you go back and look yeah that original story written by robert morales who unfortunately passed away at a young age he only got to do a handful of of books with us including truth and then a follow-up story in another captain america series starring isaiah and some other characters but the art is by one of my all-time favorite comic book creators kyle baker who is just I don't it's just a legend. It, it, I think me and, and Vita and Danny sort of turn into puddles when talking about Kyle in that episode of Marvel's Pull List because the work he's done is so impactful and important and funny and sad and perfect. Uh, so if you've never seen any of Kyle Baker's work, this is the perfect book to read. It's it's on yeah. uh, Marvel Unlimited. It is the, the collections are out there. It's really, really wonderful. Do it, do it, do it. All right, moving on. Ryan, there's been some cool stuff going on for Marvel's MODOK, so I know that you've been very excited. I've been seeing a lot of the casting announcements and um, some of the cameos that are going to be coming for the show, which are wowsies. I'm excited. I'm officially labeling Marvel's MODOK the greatest piece of art to ever be created. (laughs) Ever to be created. Ever. Ever to be created. (laughs) I would take the David... And I would throw it in the trash. Get out of here, Dave. I would take, yeah, say, Dave, get out of here. The the one with the the the, the big strong guy and his children and the, the serpent thing. That one Atlas? that's at the Met. No, but I can't remember what it's called, but I love that piece. It's uh, take that, throw it in the trash. Okay. Uh, all the art, throw it in the trash because Marvel's MODOK is coming in May. And there was a WonderCon at home panel where the cast and the crew got to talk about the series and and really introduce a whole bunch of new characters and guest stars. So you've got Bill Hader as Angar the Screamer, one of my all-time favorite Marvel characters. He's the bartender at the bar with no name. And surprise, he screams. Uh, (laughs) Bill Hader also plays the leader, the uh, Hulk's villain. Big head. Yeah, giant head. We've got uh, perfect casting here with Nathan Fillion as Wonder Man. Amazing. So good. Oh, my good. gosh. So good. Whoopi Goldberg as Pound Cakes. She Get pa- out. Yeah, right? I saw that, and I had a full, like, gasp. <laughs> <laughs> Pound Cakes is, like, a professional wrestler in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and... she she's a big, powerful lady, and I'm just obsessed with Whoopi Goldberg anyways. I feel like she was an incredibly important part of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we're full circle here. Yeah. And Whoopi's a big Marvel fan, too, which is wild. It's great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's terrific. But the most incredible thing, and I remember showrunner Jordan Bloom telling me about this a long time ago and just so excited. They've cast John Hamm as Iron Man in the show. Perfect. I mean, come on. Get out. Get out. Burn down all your other art because you need room in your brain (laughs) and in your soul for Marvel's MODOK. You know what? I can't control what people do when they see the greatest piece of art ever created, which is Marvel's Modoc. Oh, all right. Well, those are that's high praise. It's Very coming high to Hulu praise. in May. So oh, everybody, 
You don't have to wait much longer. It's almost yeah. here. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's been a ton of cool stuff going on. Um, did you see that all the news coming out about the new special event series, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, this one is really cool. And, you know, obviously, it's a Star Wars show, so it's not necessarily Marvel, but we wanted to talk about it because... We're, we're all cousins here, you know? Very true, very true. And what, what is cool is that this Obi-Wan Kenobi special event series stars Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, and it's the, the, the news came out that they were beginning shooting, but the story begins 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, so you've got this period of time where you're talking about Obi-Wan and, of course, Darth Vader's out there. And so they revealed a whole bunch of amazing cast members. But the reason I specifically wanted to make sure we brought it up was because, and I have no inside knowledge of anything, but if yeah. anybody is like excited about the potential for more Obi-Wan stories, I want to make sure everybody knows that we have a whole bunch of Obi-Wan stories that were written by writer Jason Aaron, who is writing Avengers and has written mm -hmm. Thor and all this stuff. And he basically, when he was writing the Star Wars comics starting in 2015, after every big story arc, he would do a single issue of like, it was called From the Journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And these are lost tales of Obi-Wan. And so it's like him adjusting to his life on Tatooine, you know, how he was secretly protecting Luke, doing all kinds of old stuff. Uh, like, basically, that it was filling in backstory that we had right. never gotten, and it's all in-canon stuff. So you can read these on Marvel Unlimited. It's issues uh, Star Wars from 2015, issue 7, 15, 20, 26 through 30, and then a little bit from issue number 37. Or if you want, you can go pick up the trade, the collection, which is called Star Wars from the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's really, really cool. Yeah, go check that out. And um, be sure to watch the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series that will be available exclusively on Disney+. Plus. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Plus, fun fact, we share something in common, which mm. is Kamel Nanjiani. Oh, yeah. He's going to be in the series. He's, of course, going to be in Marvel Studios Eternals. Um, so just a, a one big happy family. That's right. Uh, and again, we have no insider knowledge that the, the comics have any connection to the series. So just read some great comics is all we're saying. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, some more exciting news going on in the world. John Romita Jr. is coming back. Heck, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so freaking excited, Lorraine. Oh, my gosh. I mean, truly, he is of uh, incredibly important comic book lineage. He is incredibly uh, gifted. And we're so excited to have him back from the Distinguished Competition. Yeah. It's hard to underscore how important mm -hmm. John Romita Jr. is to mm -hmm. Marvel. Uh, of course, John Romita Sr., landmark artist for Amazing Spider-Man and so much more art director for Marvel for many years and helped mm -hmm. shape the look of Marvel Comics, which that's incredibly important. But Johnny Jr., he's probably started drawing comics in the 70s and, mm -hmm. you know, probably 70s or very early 80s. And from from the start was just like dynamite, was yeah. uh, an incredible artist, has just landmark runs. And one of the fun things is, because his career is so long and expansive, he's had multiple runs on characters and titles from different aspects of his career and different, like, you can see his evolution as an artist. He, like, did the Avengers in, in mm -hmm. various points. His Amazing Spider-Man, you know, like, from the 
80s, the 2000s, like different time periods. And he's done that. Daredevil, some of my absolute favorite oh, Daredevil comics. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He and Anna Senti had done some incredible work in the 80s. Yeah. That, oh, my gosh. And uh, we just did some an episode of Marvel's Pull List with Chip Zdarsky pointing out some of those issues. So John Jr. is very influential there. I, maybe his most like most well-known stuff is with X-Men because he did a long run mm-hmm. uh, with Chris Claremont in the 80s, then came back in the 90s to do more X-Men. He's probably popped up here and there. He's got runs on Iron Man and Thor, Wolverine with Mark Miller to do Enemy of the State, which is a really incredible run. Lots of Hulk comics, World War Hulk. I mean, I'm so many. His credits are in the hundreds. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, so I can't wait to see what he's going to come up with next and what the next installment of his work here is going to look like. Yeah. Welcome back, Johnny. Also, this week is April Fool's Day. Dun, dun, dun. You guys know a great thing happens on April Fool's Day, which is Deadpool Day. Uh, there were lots of different fun celebrations, and there are a lot of items that are being highlighted that are all Deadpool-centric. There's so much cute stuff. You can check it all out on Marvel.com. But, of course, the iconic talking Deadpool head, Deadpool and his various items, none so beautiful as his uh, ballet costume. <laughs> There's just a a true buffet of Deadpool goodness. And also this week there was the cutest video. I think it's honestly, um, I write so many videos for Marvel.com and I did not write this one and I'm such a huge fan of it um, that I just wanted to shout it out, which is long story short, did a video about Deadpool, King of the Monsters. It's all sort of voiced by Deadpool explaining the story of how he became the King of the Monsters in Staten Island, a really wonderful storyline by Kelly Thompson. And it is so funny and so cute. It's over on Marvel social media. You should definitely watch it right now if you have not yet because it's so cute. I'm just really, really obsessed with it. Uh, there's another great video, also super cute, a uh, style by Marvel video starring oh boy. me. And I. Uh, <laughs> they gave me a, a bunch of really adorable Deadpool shirts from T-Turtle. I want to shout them out because they're they're great. It's like Deadpool with unicorns and, and cute mm. kitties, which... Like I'm all about. It's great. Uh, those I have the Deadpool head and an igloo cooler. So we actually got to make my wife made my wife made uh, a chimichanga from the Deadpool cookbook. How cute! Yeah, she actually took the recipe, made the chimichanga. Continuity-wise, I hope it worked well in the video because I kept eating the chimichanga in between when we should have used it for the video. So I Ryan think it can't works be out. tamed. No. Don't give him props that are edible. They'll be gone. It's a bad idea. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. So a lot of really fun content for April 1st, which is now Deadpool Day. Dun, dun, dun. Dum, 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 dum. The day that this episode releases on Sirius XM. There you go. So should we should we prank these dudes? Let's prank these dudes. Okay. So like you don't know when it's going to happen, but you're going to get pranked. Lorraine, do you know how pranks work? No. Okay, cool. Uh, that's fine. Is this? Well, did I do it right? You did you're it great. You're supposed to tell everybody that you're going to prank them before you do yeah, it, right? That's so right. On, on edge? Okay, That's cool. right. Perfect pranking. 100%. Thanks. Thank you. I'm working on it. Um, all right. Let's move on because we've got a banger of an interview this week. We have WWE legend Shawn Michaels on the show. James and I got to talk with Shawn. And look, I just finding like interviews that James is really excited about 
is great because he loses it. He like he texted me five minutes before the interview. He's like, hey, do you mind if I introduce Sean? I have a thing I want to do and I'm very excited. And he goes on for about four minutes of introducing <laughs> Sean before Sean can even insert a word. It is really, really quite <laughs> wonderful. Honestly, everyone should have the enthusiasm of James about literally just anything, one thing in their life. He is straight up the best. He is. Uh, All right. We're going to talk with Sean about, obviously, his career as a WWE superstar, the connection between comics and wrestling. Also, really fun tidbit that Shawn Michaels had a homemade Falcon costume that he wore as a child uh, way, way, way back when. And that comes kind of full circle because we start talking about Marvel Studios, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's really great. Listen to this interview with Shawn Michaels. Ladies and gentlemen, oh my God, today is a day that is extremely special. You know how Ryan and myself feel about the world of professional wrestling, about the world of sports entertainment. And today, today, your boys have on a legend. Your boys have on an icon. I have wanted to do an introduction like this all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the guest we have today is multi-time championship caliber wrestler, the heartbreak kid, Mr. WrestleMania, the showstopper, the icon, arguably the greatest in-ring performer known to man. You can argue if you want, but I'm telling you this man is the most amazing, most stupendous, most tremendous wrestler to ever set foot to put boots on. Ladies and gentlemen, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Seaman Nutley, I wish <laughs> I'd have given my right arm to have introductions like that when I was actually wrestling in the ring on television, man. I couldn't. I couldn't pay somebody to get that kind of intro. That was uh, tremendous. Thank you very much. You are absolutely <laughs> welcome. I I, le- I am I, I work on Broadway, and I learned to do interviews. Uh, Ryan knows the story. I learned to do interviews by watching promos from professional wrestling, from everybody, from the greats of Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, to you, Sean. And I mean from you going from the Midnight Rockers to the Rockers to just being the Heartbreak Kid. Your mic skills, but then of course your in-ring skills just, and also I've seen you live and I am really, really trying not to, uh, try not to be one of the one, one of the sexy girls that screamed at you during the 90s right now. I'm really trying to, do, to, keep, to keep myself normal. Well, I appreciate that. And I, look, I gotta be honest, so I knew Ryan was a, a wrestling fan, a WWE fan, um, but I did not know you were as, uh, uh, deep into it, you know. Again, well, you know, again, actually, kind of very proud of that. When, when, you know, our business, you know, especially from a WWE standpoint, begins to translate and be appreciated by people that like, that you know sincerely know the art of what it is. And so, like I said, that's always I don't know. It's one of those things that makes you really feel like more than just a grunt wrestler when somebody that's you know got real experience of being on the stage you know, appreciate what we do. I don't know. I think that I always, I think that's cool. I love wrestling because as, as a kid, I come from an entertainment background my parents, you know, being singers and actors, but I used to tell my friends in college, we would study theater. And I would always tell them, I was like, you know, the grit, the, the most amazing base theater that is out there is professional wrestling. You have to tell a story physically in the ring. You have to be the barker to g- get on the stick and tell a promo to sell people to come and watch this match. One one guy or one performer 
has to sell that I'm going to beat the other. The other person has to sell. So you have to get them in, but they have to still tell the story in the ring. The stage is still set between those four corners. You have to tell it and you cannot like look at the audience and sing or you can't look at the audience and dance. You have to physically tell the story. And if you're not a good storyteller, the audience is going to get up and go get popcorn. So I always say, if you want to see what theater is really like, it's professional wrestling. And if you could tell a story physically, then it, it'll be easy when you start talking. So I've always looked at that. And at you, if you were to go to Broadway, you would see so many introductions of characters that are so WWE style. I know, I've had two of them. And that's probably my WWE influence. I was the genie in Disney's Aladdin and my introduction was very WWE style. I play Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson. And my Thomas Jefferson and Hamilton introduction is so WWE, it is absolutely stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a great point though, James, of like the influence that pro wrestling has on Broadway, but also on comics and on Marvel and our even our Marvel films, you know, you look at a lot of our amazing stunt workers and every once in a while you'll see, oh, there's a clothesline. Oh, there's a German suplex. Oh, there's, you know, a choke slam. There's like a, a, a kick that, you know, obviously you can see that somebody has put a little bit of wrestling into the repertoire in building the fight choreography. And, you know, wrestling's influence is everywhere. It's great. Yeah, well, and again, and not to, because that's obviously how some of this interview came about is uh, through some of the conversations Johnny Gargano and I had, you know, at, at NXT. And we were, from a storyline standpoint, that's what we were talking about, you know, last week, quite honestly, which what I always appreciate. But again, the way our whole family is, is Marvel fans and, and just all of the storylines and, and the small things that are going in within that that you have to pay attention to. I mean, I and it's obviously I get you know because my son, our son is obviously he's you know he is he's entrenched. He's all the way in there, but and so there are times like again during a certain movie where you know he'll he'll you know he'll lean up and I, you know I think it's just a regular scene, but he's knowing that that is a sort of a a little road sign to go into something else. And I have to lean up and be like, wait, right, so you know, clearly something happened there. And so, <laughs> you know, and so, but again, it is because you can't, that's why you have to watch them over and over again, which is genius, by the way, um, to, to get all the subtleties that are in there. You, you, you can clearly pick out all the big ones um, and you know, and you have an idea of where it's going next. But some of the spinoffs that you all have done in recent years has been pretty incredible because again, it's uh, they're so intertwined. There's a story coming somewhere and you really got to pay attention. And I, again, I always, once again, I, I appreciate that. We, we try to do that. I don't know that we can quite do it on the level that you all do it, um, but we're, we're still working on it. Well, I, what I think that WWE does so well that is similar to, to Marvel is the extended ongoing storytelling and the evolution of characters. And, you know, we have it in our movies, but those, you know, those movies happen every X number of months or years. And, and even with our original series on Disney plus those happen here and there, but a comic book comes out. We have, <laughs> believe me, I read every single comic book, 10 to 20 comic books that come out every week. And next month we're going to have uh, the continuation of that story. And I love that about wrestling. It's every week. We know that I want to. We're going to see Johnny and his evolution of his character and his faction and his relationships and everybody else in NXT, and they they weave through. It is the WWE universe. The NXT universe is so similar to the Marvel universe in, in those kinds of ways, and I think that's another reason why 
James and I and so many of our creators. Like I talked to the guy who wrote who writes Thor or who wrote Thor for seven years is a huge wrestling fan and incorporates that stuff. And that's the way, you know, that's how storytelling has done been done for us for 80 years. And it's worked. I think it's worked fairly well for WWE for the last 50 odd years. No complaints on our end. And, and that is, but it's also sort of the joy. I would imagine it certainly is for us is the challenge of having to bring that to you weekly on, on a live event standpoint, because it, it, I don't know, certainly for guys like me, you know, you, you, once you get out of the ring and you, you, you know, no longer tell those stories or you're the, you know, one of the characters telling those stories to now be able to sit behind the scenes and help someone like Johnny or, or, or share ideas in the creative process of how we, you know, go forward. I actually enjoy this part a heck of a lot better. Had I known this was so enjoyable, I might have stopped getting my body tossed around a long time ago. Well, Sean, we are a Marvel podcast, so I have to ask you, what is your Marvel origin? Basically, like, how did you first get into actual Marvel comics? So for me, I was very much into superheroes and the action figures, uh, the cartoon Spider-Man that they, that they had on you know, way back in the day. Like if you ever watch some of the boyhood dream stuff that we did character-wise, you'll always see me standing. I got a you know a, a picture of me standing in the original Falcon uh, outfit that my mom made for me uh, because <laughs> I just thought he was so cool back in the day. He was just I mean a really big jacked-up guy. I I loved again the red and white with the you know the half mask and the beak. So it, it, and there's yeah it's a picture of me in our driveway when I was probably gosh ten something like that. And so for me, that, that's wh where it started. My buddy was, you know, that shows him, you know, we're jumping off the truck, trying to fly and stuff like that. And they're catching pictures of us. And when I had, when we, when we had a, a, a child, our son was born. It's one of those things that I get to be a kid again. And it was something that we sort of got him into. It is one of those things that has become, again, certainly, I don't know, a part of our family dynamic uh, that we share with one another. If for no other reason, I don't know if you guys are dads or not, but the, the times you can do that with your children, and there's some similarities between, you know, things that were impactful in your childhood, sharing that with them. And, and, you know, and then they, you know, then they grow up and, you know, our son's 21, our daughter's 16, and they still haven't grown out of it. They still enjoy that, you know, in those days, uh, you know, going to the movies with their parents. For, for our listeners who don't know as much about you, can you give a, a quick explanation of like how you got into wrestling and, and sort of like some of your, your favorite moments in your career path? Yeah, sure. So mine, again, much like a lot of people now, but gosh, in 19, uh, probably 80 and, and earlier than that, when wrestling was sort of the on and 12 o'clock at night, I got to stay up late one Saturday night and all of a sudden this montage came on and these guys flying through the air and jumping off the turnbuckles and hitting each other. And I was just enthralled, um, you know, it, and then I watched the show and it was so I can before that, I sort of first had these desires to be like a stuntman. There was a part of me. I, I was always athletic. I was always a very physical person. But there was a you know, there was also, a, again, a creative artistic side of me. And at that time, a stuntman was the closest that I could see to marrying those two worlds. Again, because it's not as if I wanted to, you know, like I wanted to be an actor. Right? That, that's, I, I can honestly say that it wasn't that. It was the physical nature of the, the stunt business that, that 
appealed to me because again, I was just, I've been a foot, I was a football player. My, you know, since the time I was five years old. And so the physicality was, is what attracted me. And then I was exposed to this world where there's a physical aspect, but then there very much is a, a you know, an acting part and, and, and a part of that, of creativity that, you know, can, there can be an outflow of personality that you might not ordinarily have. I was pretty much always a shy kid. So again, from that time I was 12 years old seeing it, it was just a big part of my life. And then of course, cable TV, let's know how old I am. Then cable TV came about and I was able to watch it from, you know, WOR and in out of New York and then WTBS out of, out of Atlanta and then, you know, world-class wrestling, out of Dallas. And so again, now you see, oh my goodness, it's all over the place and you get the, the su- subscriptions to the the magazines and you then you learn about Florida and the AWA and Japan. And, and, and so again, it was just this understanding, this whole big world that was out there where my goodness, this is a job to some people. And I couldn't imagine, I don't know, just a greater job. And I, I was not you know, I joke about not being a smart kid, but I, I it, you know, books, and, you know, that was not my, yeah, it was not my forte. Um, it was just something I wasn't going to do. But you get to graduation, everybody, what do you want to do with your life? And you got to go to college and get a degree. And it's like, okay. And so you do that. And I did that for a semester, didn't do that well. And then uh, again, was asked to, like, can you just put, you know, try to put in another one and then we can see where you're at. And I kind of did. And look, I came back and I told my dad, look, I'm just, I'm wasting your money. I really want to try this wrestling. But again, back then, no internet, you know, there, there weren't people training people all over the place. So we, we, we heard that the local promoter was also a used car salesman. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> again, we just, we, we got a hold of him and had a meeting with him. He introduced me to Jose Lothario. They said it's $3,000. My father took out a loan. It just sort of went from there. Um, and then, of course, the, that uh, during that time, the WWE explodes. And, of course, that you, you that's where you want to go. And just a number of so – that, that's where it all started from. But then, of course, as you know, Ryan, you, you, there's a lot – you go through sort of uh, – probably both of you know, again – I'm not the biggest guy, and so I'm. I'm not. You know, your. You never become someone's first. Ooh, he's 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 exactly what we want. He's what we're looking for. I'm not a prototypical professional wrestler. So then you see that, and you understand you've got to do things differently, and you know, from a style standpoint, and you know, you may not still get a look, and then it becomes that. Well, look, if I can be better. <laughs> than everybody else that's going to be my best chance and so i just i got so all in and that's where it came from that's that's wild in those you know just thinking about those years that you were in ring what are some of the things that really stand out to you of, of like the change in in the business i think you know one of them is like understanding the the niche role probably understanding that hey maybe the company was going it could go in a different direction what are some of the other things that you noticed of the changing business well certainly again uh, obviously getting a pulse on what would later be termed sort of the attitude era but striking a balance between how much you tr- you know pull that curtain back and letting them in on some of the the real life aspects of who you are i think we were sort of doing reality television before it was called that 
but and having the understanding of that, but also doing your best to protect, you know, sort of the, the magic tricks, so to speak. I think that's one thing. Again, I feel like we were a, a, a big part of that with the Generation X and 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 going into the future. And and just I think the style. I think one of the things I I'm one of those people that is a proponent of. I don't know of, of this generation's wrestling. I know, you know, much like ours, I don't know. It's not perfect, but that everything in a creative line of work, you continue to grow, evolve and change. And everybody's doing their best. It isn't that nothing's ever done out of anything, but trying to put the best piece of piece of creative art out there. And the idea of people, you know, oh, these kids are they, I, I had it done to me. So it's just something I really wanted to make sure that I, I didn't do. And honestly, the biggest thing for me was, is, is honestly, I look back and just being, you know, one, the growth to it glo- going global the way it has and really understanding that when I got, when I retired, I mean, there were times again, when I was, you know, just going on different trips, when you land somewhere in Africa and all of a sudden the entire airport knows it's you and I don't, it was just really mind blowing. So it, it, it's just stuff like that. I don't know, like on one hand, you, when you're little, you're dreaming of those aspirations, but then now you're old enough to really appreciate like, oh my goodness, it's all that stuff happened. And I'm a kid from San Antonio and yeah, I, I don't know. So again, to me, really, it's, uh, there's been so many of them and so many of the, the parts of people's lives that they remember that I was a part of, you know, whether it's the barbershop or, you know, again, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, the curtain call, the Montreal stuff. I mean, I was a big part of people's childhood. And you think to yourself, like, gosh, I just was trying to be a professional wrestler and see that stuff that I did on Saturday night. And then all of a sudden, you know, again, I always, again, I wonder if like, again, Robert Downey Jr., he just wanted to be an actor. And then all of a sudden, dude, you're Iron Man to all of us. You know what I mean? And nobody, you know, and nobody else can play him. Well, they could put, no, you know what I mean? You don't, you'd rather him not be there than have anybody else play him. And so again, I don't, you know, and I can't speak for them, but I just like, for me, uh, that wasn't my goal. You know, I mean, for me, it was that, gosh, I hope I get like, if I could have a one bedroom apartment and a car, that'd be awesome. You know? So um, I, I want to shift gears. I have to ask you, you talk about this family time that you had with your son uh, watching the MCU films. Now, we know that your son is a huge Marvel fan, but I know when you watch films with him, Sean, I know that there's a favorite of yours. Now, what is your favorite Marvel films? You and your son may have like, this is our favorite together, but what is your personal? Like if you had to watch one, you're on the plane by yourself. Which one do you watch? Yeah, so uh, look, I, I think for me, um, I go with, again, original Iron Man. You know, right. um, it caused me, I watched that, obviously it's an unbelievable flick and and, and it sort of sets everything up you know, to, to, to going forward and going in, in motion. But then I go like, oh my goodness. Now it causes me to go back and watch, you know, again, Thor, even back to the, you know, the first Hulk when, they, again, I, I, like I said, I, I always try to figure out when it was you all sort of put this game plan in to, you know, start going forward because, like, I didn't notice it until then, you know what I mean? And again, because I, I, I'm not, uh, I, just like in the wrestling business, I'm not one of those behind the scenes guys and the underground and all that stuff. My son will do all that stuff. But so for me, it caused me to go back and want to see, uh, you know, the other ones 
and to, to sort of get caught up and then at least pay attention to everything then going forward. And again, for me, I'll also go back to that's when you watch Robert Downey Jr. I've also seen him since he was young and he established himself as this new and different role. And then right away, he's Iron Man to you and no one else. So again, I just, like I said, for me, that's just the staple that sort of brings everything forward from there. It's a damn near perfect movie. I mean, you, really you can't is. go wrong. It really I, is. I remember being in the theater went for our like friends and family screening um, because that was our first, that was Marvel's first self-produced movie. And sort of like, if it didn't work, we were in a bunch of trouble. It's like, you know, it's like first WrestleMania in some ways, the way I've heard it from, from stories that have been told. It's like, this is a gamble. This is, but it, it, it's got to work. And boy, did it work. And it's, you know, from there, it's just like to the moon. It's, it's really exciting. It's for me, it is that, it's that first one. It's that big beginning, that foundation that sort of everything else launches from. And as I say, then, but then you go like, Hey, I need to go back and pay attention to those other ones that I've just sort of, you know I mean? That have just sort of been out there. You know, no one had told me they were sort of part of the line. And, and I don't know that, you know, I don't know that at the time all that, you know, had come together yet, but somehow, again, you want to make sure you, pay attention to everything because you might see something in Thor way back in this, in this Hulk that they did, that's going to play forward later on, you know, when they all get together. Yeah. It's, it's really smart storytelling that they've done. Um, you mentioned as a, that when you were younger, you collected action figures. Do you remember what it was like when you got your first Shawn Michaels action figure? So it, for me, it ha- yeah, I do. I mean, it, it happened in, uh, when Marty and I were together with the Rockers in the AWA. I mean, those were the first real ones. There are moments you think about your first action for your first championship, those things that sort of attracted you to the business, but now you're in it and you also, now you're in it. And in my time, you couldn't say how excited you were. You couldn't be open and honest about that. Like, oh my goodness, how cool is that? You had to put on the mask. And so I do remember it and it does, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's an affirmation in ways. Again, it makes you feel like certainly that young and that early into it, there's a chance this is happening. This is going, you know, know, um, so it is, it's, it's very affirming in that respect. Now, again, I fast forward years later into the WWE and, you know, again, they've come a whole, obviously, you know, head and tails, you know, above where they were, but now you're, you're also becoming something. And now we've got collectors, you know, now you're becoming a part of memorabilia stuff that you, again, in your mind, you associate with Joe Namath, you know, and, and, and Willie Mays and stuff like that. But now there's people wanting to collect different aspects of you. And, 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 and so it, it really is, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. And, and it really is, again, it just, it, for me, it just caused me to go the opposite direction and where I, I'm so far from what my first intentions were, I was able to have the opportunity to dream even bigger, which I didn't know was an option um, at that time in my career. And so to me, that's, that's why it's, I don't know, I'm, sem- uh, you know, I'm just, I'm old and soft about it now because I am, I'm just, truly grateful for the for everything that went on and and in some respects i i appreciate when there's the pat on the back and oh you deserved it you earned it and i i do i acknowledge i did work hard 
but at the same time, I've seen other people work hard and did not work out. And, and so I just don't allow myself to get too prideful in any respect because I don't know, because it's more pleasant to be thankful, I guess. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's refreshing that how yeah. wonderful and humble and just sweet you are. It's just, really? uh, <laughs> it makes me real happy, Sean. I'll tell you that, uh, we, James and I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while and, um, Seriously. more than lived up to it. It's, it's, and it's I, I have, I have to say, uh, listen, man, I've been watching wrestling since I was 10 years old and till this day. And I, I will, I will go down to my grave with this. No one throws a super kick like you. And they, and I'm telling you that there are, I have not seen this many copycats since Snoop Dogg came out and everybody tried to rap <laughs> like Snoop. I mean, everybody, everybody yeah, named Mama want to do a super kick, and I swear yours is, yours is so smooth. And when it comes out of nowhere, it literally comes out of nowhere. It is just beautiful. And thank you for putting a stamp on it and giving wrestling something that other younger performers wanted to try. But literally, there's once you took it, it's become a thing. And just also as a wrestling fan, man, just thank you for what you did for the business and what you did for fans. Just Ryan and I talk about this all the time, but just the stories you gave us and the moments you gave us are, uh, they will live on, legendary. And then what you're doing now with the, with the younger talent will live on. And we won't even know until somebody says something that it was you behind the scenes saying, yeah, this is the direction you should go or you should try this. But just thank you for passing on what, you, what you've created. Yeah, well, look, one, it's my pleasure. And two, none of this happens without you guys watching us and, and, and that foundation of people out there. Again, sounds cliche, but if I perform in front of nobody that cares, it, it doesn't make any difference. So it, was a, it really was. It was a mutual thing because I love doing it. It wasn't hard. <laughs> you know. So again, I appreciate the opportunity. So we're, we're going to let you go, but uh, make sure you check out also Marvel Studios Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You as an old school Falcon fan, you let uh, you let Johnny know what you think once all the episodes have come together and you can sit down and enjoy them. Well, now that y'all finished WandaVision, I can I can now, right, I can right. now at least take that one in now. So, oh, yeah, boy. Because again, he was telling me like, oh, my goodness, you wait. And I said, no, you sh- don't don't tell me. I said, because I can't I have to wait till they're all done. So yes. I can, you know, so I can binge I so, Yeah, yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. No, yeah. You don't want that. That that's uh, that'd be that'd be bad. Um, Sean, thank you so much. Thank you guys very much for having me. And I pre- hope I didn't ramble too much, but thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Could have chatted right. for a bunch more Forever. time, I'm sure. Sean Michaels is a ding, dang delight. Thank you once again to Sean Michaels and to WWE and NXT for uh, joining us on the show this week. I want to make sure everybody knows NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver will take place over two, count them, two nights. So night one is Wednesday, April 7th, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on the USA Network. Then night two is Thursday, April 8th, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on Peacock. And then, of course, the granddaddy of them all, WrestleMania coming right after that. WrestleMania 37 takes place at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida on Saturday, April 10th and Sunday, April 11th. It's the dream come true. Two nights of WrestleMania. It's wonderful. And of course, WrestleMania will air exclusively on Peacock in the United States and on WWE Network around the world. I'll be there. I'll be watching. Well, I won't be there, but I'll be watching. I'm very excited. Wow, you guys had a really good time talking with him. I'm very jealous. It sounded very, very fun. I'm glad you guys got to do that. Yeah. Someday we'll have to take a twim road trip down to Florida, to Orlando, to the WWE Performance Center and see uh, how they do all the cool stuff that you can come with us. I know you're not a big wrestling fan, but you will be one after you get to experience it. 
okay, here's the deal I'm making. We all go down to Orlando. Mm-hmm. We go watch the wrestling men. Yep. And ladies. And ladies. And then we go with James to Disney World. That is a day I want to have. Yeah. Yeah, because like he's he was the genie. He has to have like special security, right? Like they have to carry him around. And, <laughs> also, like... James is such a huge Disney fan. I just want to, I want to go through Disney World through James's eyes. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's start thinking about next week because our guests on the show will be writer Dan Slott and comic book editor Tom Brevoort. We will be talking about the episode that they were a part of for Marvel's 616. It's the Marvel Method episode, wherein they explain how comic books are made. Specifically, they talk about Iron Man 2020, the process of creating it. So Lorraine, what are you thinking for our question of the week? I I thought it over and I want to know if people were to write their own comic book, would they want to use the Marvel method where you break the story and then the artist draws and then you fill in the dialogue? Or would you like to write it in the full script method where you hand off your script to an artist and then they draw it? Which is it? Marvel method or full script? And of course, definitely watch the episode about the Marvel method from Marvel 616 on Disney Plus. So you get a full sort of view of the Marvel method process before you answer. But of course, Lorraine, how can they send us their answers? You can tweet us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or you can send us a Facebook message at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. And please make sure to tell us if it's quote unquote okay to read so we can be okay to read on the show (laughs) there you go uh all right first thing uh i want to grab a facebook comment this one came in from jeff martins and jeff says you guys are great one thing can you not say anything critical everything is gushing about how wonderful this and that is i get that you're official brought to you by marvel podcast but if you can please start being just a tad critical rather than being lip service for Disney. Jeff, I super duper appreciate this comment. I think it's a fair one. I will say we are, in, I would never consider us lip service for Disney. The The critical side is, is this. So I started this show t- almost 10 years ago as a way to get excited about Marvel and to tell people literally, this is what's happening in Marvel. It used to be every comic book that came out that week, we would talk about on the show and this and that. And there was some critical stuff in there back in the day. Um, and we would make jokes, we would make fun of things, and we still do, you know, like, I still am not a, I don't love Gambit. There are characters I don't yeah. love. We we talk smack about Cyclops almost every week. Yeah, and <laughs> part of it's joking, but part of it's real. And and mm-hmm. like the, the thing about it is, and the thing that I always look at it is, there's so much negativity. There's so mm-hmm. much criticalness about everything everywhere that if I don't like something, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so there are stuff that we see that we just, nah, let's not talk about it this, this episode. We don't want to mention it. It doesn't make sense for us. It's not something we're excited about, whatever it is. We right. generally have that kind of rule of like, if we don't like it, we're not going to get into it. And I think it's important for probably you, Lorraine, as well as myself, Like, we're not going to be like, I love this thing if I don't love this thing. I would never say that. No, absolutely. I mean, that is a good point. This is not just This Week in Marvel. This is This Week in Marvel that Ryan and Lorraine really enjoy. Yes. So obviously, if there's stuff that we 
aren't as in love with, we're probably not going to talk about it. Yeah. So not to belabor the point, but I really appreciate the message, Jeff. And I wanted to make sure it wasn't ignored, that we were able to address it honestly and openly. I, I don't know that we're going to like extend and go into more critical things um, just because it's, it's just not not what we want to do. But if anybody else out there wants us to be more critical, you can let us know, send us more messages. I just don't know that that's, that's the direction we want to take the show. But nonetheless, we appreciate you and thank you for sending that message. Yeah. All right. We've got some more comments here. The question of the week last week was if you were to get quote unquote sweet chin music, aka a smack in the face <laughs> from the face. a Marvel character, who would you not want it to be? Mm-hmm. So we got this answer from Bilal Elian, who said, Hey, Lorraine, James, and Ryan, when it comes to sweet chin music, nobody does it better than HBK. Who, wait, I heard Shawn Michaels. Is that who that is? Th- that's the Shawn Heartbreak Michaels. Kid. Oh, the, the Heartbreak, heartbreak kid. kid. Shawn Michaels. All right. In the Marvel Universe, there are plenty of great fighters, but one of the best combatants in regards to using their lower body has to be Batroc Zeliper. This man made his living using his legs. He has amazingly strong leg muscles and leaps from building to building as if it was nothing. A kick from this person will not be pleasant. Batroc can hold his own against Cap, and let us not forget this Frenchman has no superhuman powers, which makes him the best there is, the best there was, and the best there will ever be. Because if you want to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Side note, you know who Ric Flair's favorite Marvel character is? Jimmy Woo! Thanks, guys. Bilal. (laughs) Bilal, I'm so sorry that Lorraine butchered all your references to to wrestling. So the the best there is, (laughs) best there was, best there ever will be is a reference to uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, If you want to be the man, you've got to beat the man is a reference to Ric Flair. And Ric Flair's big quote-unquote catchphrase was him going, Woo! Like that. So the Jimmy Woo thing, I laughed oh. out loud and I read that to my wife and she started cracking up. But I'll thank you for that. That was a wonderful note. Uh, I loved it so much. Pearls before swine. I'm sorry. Uh, I I don't know your ways, but, you know, I support them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and um, I think Batrock is a great, great answer. If anybody out there has not yet read the King and Black Thunderbolts series, it's really good. Mm, and yeah. Batrock is a big part of that series. And he kicks ass. He's great in it. Literally. Yeah. All right. We've got a tweet in here from the overpowered tech lord at Lex Pendragon saying, I am doing my This Week in Marvel homework. If I have to be kicked in the face by a 616 denizen, I'd pick either Iron Fist, Shang-Chi, or some great ninja so I can learn from them in those few split seconds I lost consciousness. <laughs> Tech Lord, I did not realize you had the Taskmaster power where you, you can learn somebody's fighting style just by watching it. Congratulations. That's a, that's a great deal. Uh, next up, we have this one from Marvel Man at SpideyBoy3, which says... Fui, fui, fui. I'm so excited because this week it's my birthday and I'm going to try to throw a party and I'm just super excited. But that aside, I have a question for you guys. With the new Godzilla movie just around the yeah. corner, who is your favorite kaiju monster giant person in the Marvel Whoa. Universe? My first off, happy birthday. Happy birthday. I'm, I'm also, we are, we're twin Aries. I'm coming up soon too, so I'll celebrate with you. I think my favorite is Gugam Mm. of the just like random big creature category, the big Marvel monsters, because he's like essentially a creepy baby. Or (laughs) Infant Terrible is also wonderful. 
just a big creepy space baby. Yeah. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I just go to Fin Fang Foom. Yeah. Like I have Marvel Man. I have a tattoo of Fin Fang Foom fighting Godzilla. So that'll tell you like where my love lies because Fin Fang Foom is probably my favorite Marvel kaiju. Godzilla is my favorite thing. Lorraine, did I tell you that we have plush Godzillas for Catherine? Mm -hmm. She has a big one that is about the same size as her. She has a little one. And we tell her that Godzilla goes rawr. So now she calls Godzilla rawr. And she she like (laughs) goes rawr like that. And so I was watching the Godzilla 2014 the other day. Mm -hmm. And she woke up from her nap towards the end of the movie. And we were like, oh, this might be too scary for her. And we asked her, is this too scary? She goes, no, rawr. And she (laughs) watched the last half hour smiling and loving it. And she goes, at the end of it, she goes, more rawr, more rawr. And I had to put on more Godzilla for her. So that is uh, your kid, huh? Right? Oh, (laughs) it's so good. It's so good. Uh, And if anybody gets a chance, find there's an old Marvel Essentials collection of the Marvel Godzilla comics. It's available. It's out there. You might have to pay a pretty penny for it, but or or just find those old issues. They're great. They're really weird. Avengers fighting Godzilla. It's something you need in your life. Yeah, do it. All right. Next up, we have one from Keith Lyle at Chrono 60637. Definitely not Hulk. I mean, his feet alone is bigger than my head, and I'm pretty sure he'd kick my head right off my shoulders. Just seeing him tune up the band to deliver sweet chin music might be worth it, though. Um, yeah, that's one big smashy footprint I would not I would not recommend. And Lorraine, tuning up the band is when the the artist who is performing sweet chin music stands with their hands on their hips and starts pounding their their foot down and getting it ready. That's the signal that they're going to kick somebody with the the sweet chin music. So it's like when chickens scratch. Yep, a and they're like bok 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 bok. A little bit like bok bok bok. Yes. Okay. Uh, we got a tweet in here from Jody at Tolkien Fan Forever saying, Greetings, true believers. To answer Lorraine and Ryan, I would not want any sweet chin music from Quicksilver. Mm. It would come out of nowhere. You probably wouldn't even know it was him. That's a great answer. I didn't even think yeah. about a super speedster. That's so good. I, I mean, also, you'd just be standing there and then you'd be like, Dunk. Ow, what happened? <laughs> what was that? You just hurt for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got one in here from Stephen LaRoque at LaRoque underscore Stephen, which says, Shang-Chi, dude hits like a brick bleep house. Amen. Next up, we've got this one from Lily underscore brand at AG underscore outlaw, which says, Bucky Barnes, I mean, it wasn't the sweet chin music, but a front kick from the Winter Soldier literally yeeted Sam Wilson off a carrier in Marvel Studios' Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, Wow, I've never heard it put in those terms, but yeah. Tremendous. (laughs) Tremendous. Tremendous. Wonderful. I love that one so much. Uh, All right, last one this week comes from Matt Quick at Matt the Quick and says, The only obvious answer is Shang-Chi. He is the master of Kung Fu, after all. Second pick would be Black Panther, especially if he had his foot charged up with vibranium first, kind of like how Shawn Michaels used to load it up, a.k.a. tuning up the band. Right, with the stomping. Yeah, see, you're getting it, you're getting it. It He did the little chicken stomp, and he's like, I'm going to get you. That's what he says, right? Woo! I'm going to get you. Look at you. You're becoming a wrestler, a regular wrestling fanatic. I'm going to probably not work on it. But in theory, I'll continue to gain knowledge. Fair. That's fair. Uh, That was a great one. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for chiming in. Of course, this episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos, with help from Rye Dorsey. 
Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Sweet Chin Music, the only music produced by your chin. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>